The podcast under the stairs. Void diary entry number 32. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? This is Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs. I think these messages are getting out now. This is an update to previous communications. The final part of the newly designed device has arrived. It was installed yesterday and after a bit of technical complications, I finally managed to switch it on. The only problem is that it takes several weeks for the device to reach maximum capacity of power and at this rate, um, where I am just now, things are probably take maybe a month to fully charge, at which time I hope I'll be able to get back home. The weird thing about the device is that the American Secret Service who have designed it have advised me that there is a turn dial. The turn dial must be turned exactly four times in order to bring me back to where I was. want to go home and hopefully in four weeks time it'll happen. End of message. You're listening to Druid FM on 192 BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode number 69. I am your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 69 is the final part, the conclusion, the end of our top 10 countdown of the best horror performances by Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price. All shows have led to this. Now, if you've been following all the previous ones, you'll know that Vincent Price is the winner overall. Um, He has a four-point lead. He might be able to extend to six points at the end of this episode, or Christopher Lee can bring it back to two points of difference. So it's all to play for in this final round. Joining me later on will be Jeff X. Martin from the Kiss the Goat podcast, and we're going to look at the two movies that topped my list, which are The Wicker Man for Christopher Lee and The Witchfinder General for Vincent Price. Two powerhouse performances um, by two phenomenal actors, and I'll just go out and say this has been my favourite top 10 countdown doing um, you know movie reviews on the podcast under the stairs it has just been fantastic there has not been one bad movie in this selection the performances have been phenomenal and uh, I've been able to spend the last 10 weeks with friends from other podcasts chatting about Christopher Lee and Vincent Price I mean does it get much better than this um, I recently opened the Facebook page to suggestions for future top 10s and you can still make comments on that if you have an idea of what you would like the podcast under the stairs to tackle next summer um, for our top 10 countdowns then take yourself to the Facebook page and um, put forward your suggestions I really want to try and do something completely different for top 10 next year so um, it'll it'll be interesting to see where it lands and uh, I, I really can't wait. I can't wait at all. I'm a bit, I'm a bit flabbergasted here because I can't believe those 10 weeks have flown in. Um, and that means that in just a couple of days, uh, if you're downloading this on the day of the release, on the Monday, on Thursday, the 1st of October, 
we kick off our second season of Baz V Halloween, um, which is crazy. That has flown around so quickly. So on Thursday this week, we will drop episode one of five for Baz V Halloween. Um, the, the subject for the movies this year, um, we're doing Unsettling Cinema for his first feature, which is a series of movies that might not necessarily fall into the horror category, but... I believe are movies that have something about them that can be psychologically traumatising to the right frame of mind. And the second feature will be found footage movies because we know the Baz loves him some found footage. So um, on Thursday we will be dropping episode number one where Baz will be looking at the 1970s version of I Spit on Your Grave, the original. And we'll be following that up with the last broadcast from the 1990s. So I can't wait to get into that. That show is already recorded and ready to drop and it's absolutely bitching. So me and the Baz can't wait to bring you uh, five weeks of fantastic scares on um, Baz V Halloween, which culminates on our Halloween show, which is our video commentary for Grave Encounters 2 for Baz V Horror. So um, gear yourself up for that. We know what Grave Encounters did to him last year. I wonder if Grave Encounters 2 will have the same effect. Time will tell. Time will tell. So yeah, so I, I really want to just thank everyone for checking out the shows, all the support. Um, which there has been loads during this top 10 run uh, you guys have been really animated putting forward your opinions on um, who you think should have won what rounds and that's been brilliant and uh, the Facebook page as always has been very animated as this has the Twitter feed the Twitter feed has been brilliant as well so thank you very much everyone for that and um, I think with all that out of the way it's time to take a very short break you're going to hear promos for shows that I love you're going to hear the intro to our top 10 Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price segment when I Turn, I'll be joined by the ex, the goat, Jeff X Martin from Kiss the Goat podcast, and we're going to kick things off looking at the top one for uh, Christopher Lee and Vincent Price right after this break. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought provoking? and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com May I have your attention, please? Mr. Harker, I'm glad that you've arrived safely. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. Ready to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. Then tell us where Mercata is. The fear causes tremendous tensions in the body can't relieve those tensions, why can't they become strong enough to kill you? They will be destroyed. Oh, splendid. This must be my malaria. And now, for our more dreadful sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream! Scream for your lives! 
I intended a peaceful occupation, but you have made that impossible. You suspect uh, the whole play? It's almost time to lock up the house. Then your party will really begin. I wonder how it'll end. I will flog every person in this village. You are about to enter hell. You will warn the crew that if any one of them lets slip what really happened to the Armada, I will personally cut out his tongue. Salt and mercury, effective against the dark forces. They will protect you and Simon. We can save him. The mark of Satan is upon them. I appreciate the fact that you are here to help me. Nevertheless, I would remind you that you are also a guest in my house. Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. Okay, no. The pit! The pen. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And welcome back. So, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. This is the final, the final countdown on our top 10 horror performances by Christopher Lee versus Vincent Price. You've made it through already some absolutely fantastic movies. And if you've been keeping score out there, I'm pretty much certain you know where this show is going. You'll know which movie made the top of my list for um, the man known as Christopher Lee. Uh, you possibly have guessed what might be at number one for Vincent Price. Uh, I know it wasn't the one that everyone thought it was. That happened a couple of shows ago. And I just like to keep these on the back foot. Um, but I've saved truly the best to last. And I've even saved the best to last when it comes to my guest. Um, this guy has not been on my show in a fair few months. But when he is on my show, I have some of the best conversations about movies. Um, he will probably be quite happy to know that neither one of these films are Italian. Because uh, that's all he seems to do when he's on my show. It's the same when Doug was on. I felt so sorry for him. I was like, hi, this is Doug. Doug usually reviews Italian movies on my show. Um, but yeah, it is of course my very good friend. And, uh, Mr. Jeff X. Martin from Kissed the Goats. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. Good to hear your voice, sir. It's good I mean, to I hear mean, like yours. in person, not just on the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been it's been a couple of months since we we delved back into another round of Fulci, um, and we're going to be fingers crossed and everything going according to plan. We'll be doing one more look at Fulci this year. Uh, with yourself and uh, Doug um, we're sitting down and we're looking at some later jallos and not obvious ones either which I'm really looking forward to I think that is going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun because I think there was at least two of those movies that I've never seen before so I can't yeah. wait yeah I love digging into the deep stuff you know that yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but like I was saying at the start there, uh, you have a show. Um, it's called Kiss the Goat. It recently moved networks, and it's now on the same network as this show, Legion yes. Podcast Network. Um, and if you would just like to tell the listeners out there a little bit about your show and where they can listen to it. Um, Kiss the Goat is a show that I co-host with my wife, Cootie, and we talk about devil movies, basically, from from now and decades past um, but we also do a lot of fun stuff 
besides that, there's always a drinking game on every episode. <laughs> we do a Satan in the News segment, and we do something called Ask the Goat, where our Facebook group members uh, shoot us questions about anything, and we answer them because we don't know what too much information means. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it gets weird, but it's a lot of fun, and you can find us right here at um, thelegionpodcasts.com. Just look up Kiss the Goat under the podcast tab, and we will be there in all of our raging glory. <laughs> and you're now, um, since uh, recording this, you now have uh, a standalone feed as well for iTunes. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, please, gods, find us on the iTunes and... Leave those five-star reviews that everybody covets so much. <laughs> we do like a, a, a shiny five-star review. Yes. It's, it's, it's very nice. It looks it looks nice on my imaginary internet wall. Look, <laughs> another five-star. Yay. Yay. Um, so um, when I created this list, when we were speaking about this months ago, um, it was when we were doing the Filchy show, and I'd said, oh, I've got a run of shows coming up, and on those shows I'll be doing the top ten Christopher Lee horror performances, selected by myself, and the top ten Vincent Price performances. Um, you pretty much threw your hat into the ring before I even mentioned the list um, and said, I, I want to be on Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, now, for, for the listeners out there, the old school listeners, the OG listeners to the podcast Under the Stairs, they will know that the Wicker Man and um, the other movie we're going to be discussing, which is Witchfinder General, have both been discussed on this show right back in our first couple of months. Um, we did a, our very first top 10 series of shows covered what we classed as the top 10 in British horror. And both The Wicker Man and uh, Witchfinder General made it to that list because uh, myself and my co-host at the time, big fans of Christopher Lee and big fans of Vincent Price. So it should be no surprise at all that these two movies landed so high on my list. Um, but before we, we take a short break and come back to discuss The Wicker Man, you really have an affinity with this movie, don't you? I really do. Um, I have almost an emotional attachment to this movie. And it's interesting too. I mean, I don't want to get... I don't want to start puking emotions all over your show, <laughs> but <laughs> um, there, there was a point in my life where I followed the Christian faith very, you know, obsessively and mm -hmm. seeing the Wicker Man as a Christian is a horrifying experience. <laughs> yes. Seeing yeah. it as a non-Christian is completely different and it's fascinating to me just how that script plays both sides it's just mm -hmm. fasc it fascinates me i think it's one of the most well written films that i've that i've ever seen in my life and people always ask me what my top movies are and i somehow i always forget to include the wicker man and i don't know how that happens because yeah. i'm i watch it at least four, four times a year yeah i'm, I'm the same I, I, this movie is I mean I've spoken about it several times on this show and some on other shows, but The Wicker Man for me is I think it was the first movie that I saw where like where I was conscious of the ending not necessarily being perceived as a happy ending. <laughs> if you know what I mean, it depends. Yes. It, it depends. It depends what side of the the coin you're on on that island, whether or not it's a good day or a bad day. Um, but. I, I very strongly remember it um, and just being 
like the credits rolling and thinking, oh well, there'll be some after credit sequence or something. And no, you know, when the, the head of that wicker man caves in and the whole thing crashes to the ground, uh, and we pan off into the sunset, I was just like, what kind of fucked up snuff movie is this? <laughs> They've just killed the Equalizer. You know what I mean? Right? <laughs> you don't, you don't kill Edward Woodward. Um, but yeah, I, I was I'd like that. And since then, it's been a movie I've returned to quite a lot. But it's, it fascinates me how many times I watch this movie. And at the end, I always, I always have that feeling that maybe some sort of police helicopter is going to come over that horizon and save the day. Um, and it never does. It never, never does. The ending, the ending never changes. But um, that way where I always... And I'm the same as you when it comes to lists of movies. For some reason, The Wicker Man, it never appears on my list. And I almost feel as a kind of a weird reasoning or rationale behind it is that I almost hold it in its own category, you know, separate from other movies because it is so distinctly different from anything else. And very much like The the Exorcist where William Friedkin will argue um, till he's blue in the face that it's not a horror movie, it's a drama. And um, it's funny that the director, the director of The Wicker Man, Robin Hardy, is of the same opinion. He's like, this movie is not a horror movie, it's a kind of musical drama. Um, and you're like, in you saying that, that makes this movie even more terrifying um, for some reason. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to, to, to have you on the show to discuss it. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump out just now, play some promos for shows that I love. Um, and the listeners out there are going to hear the trailer for The Wicker Man from 1973. And when myself and X return, it's time to get knees deep in this bitch. Um, yes. yes, we're going to be right back after this. You know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did, ripped to the tits. <laughs> and there is ever so much more to the show than that, and let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know until you listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish, and you can join me and my co-host, Andy Blockley. Hello, hello. As we chat about 
the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it, Andy. Okay, 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood. to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already told... In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you that can stand by and see your own child slaughtered? You are the fool, Mr. Harry. You're liars. Are despicable little liars. Welcome back. So you've just had the trailer for our first movie review. This is number one on my countdown list for Christopher Lee. This is The Wicker Man from 1973, directed by Robin Hardy, written by Anthony Schaefer. This movie stars Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, Diane Calento, um, Britt Eklund, Ingrid Pitt, uh, Lindsay Kemp. Russell Waters, Aubrey Morris, Irene Sunters, Walter Carr, other folks are in this movie. The synopsis is a police sergeant is sent to a Scottish island village in search of a missing girl whom the Thames folk claim never existed. Stranger still are the rites that take place there. Now, um, this movie, like we were just saying before, I saw at a fairly fairly young age uh, I was a, a, not even a teenager I think I maybe saw this maybe when I was 11 or 12 um, mm. and you know obviously it sticks with me quite a bit but even then I was aware of of Christopher Lee in this movie I'd already seen Horror of Dracula by that time and to see Christopher Lee you know with the with the insane here with the, the over the top Scottish accent and um 
you know, wearing full Highland get up with a pair of Converse, kind of, kind of stuck, <laughs> kind of stuck with me. Um, and he certainly isn't. He isn't the prominent role in this one. This movie is very much Edward Woodward's movie because Edward Woodward at this time. That name is very difficult if you say it very fast. Uh, Edward Woodward, at this time, eh, was a kind of -of run-of-the-mill actor, and this movie put him on the map because his performance is nothing short of absolutely stunning. Um, And we follow the movie with him as a very kind of puritanical um, police officer who is sent to a small island village, like it said in the synopsis, um, basically in search of a missing girl. And this island very much adheres to a sort of... Paganism, which offends uh, Woodward's character greatly, um, and the the further he de- uh, kind of delves into the goings on on this island, the more mysterious things get, um, and he is kind of he's kind of constantly on the back foot in this movie. He never really knows what's happening and that culminates in what I would argue is one of the greatest endings in cinema history um, of him basically being burned alive as a way for the pagans to believe that their gods will allow them to have a, a healthy harvest I always thought it was a shame that that ending was kind of spoiled on the poster yeah <laughs> yeah I think of all the things they could have done I don't I don't know um they, they could have maybe done something else I, I I find it I find it quite amusing that they have that and then I, I find it quite amusing as well that people were shocked when they saw the ending like you did you, you didn't see that coming the name of the movie is the wicker man because <laughs> I mean you know I, I, come on so right. Um, but yeah, the, the movie's a really strange one in that, it, like, like I was saying earlier on about the, the director, Robin Hardy, saying that he believes it's like a, a drama sort of musical thing, is there is a lot of kind of folk music, a hell of a lot of folk music kind of interspersed here. There's very strange, albeit not displeasing nudity um, in this movie. Um, like that a lot. That's a tick. Um, and yeah, I, I think the reason it lands number one for Christopher Lee, for me, is that his performance is just jaw-droppingly good. I think he said it himself, um, of all the roles he ever played, um, this one, this one of Lord uh, Lord Summerisle, he that is his favourite role he ever played. He believed that the script had almost been written for him. That's, that's how much he, he enjoyed playing this um, particular role. And there is a there is a, a very, there's a complexity to the character as well, um, which we'll obviously we'll discuss later on at the culmination. But it's not just a it's not just a one trick pony in this. Um, there's a really I mean over here this is kind of known as kind of folk horror, kind of rural folk horror, and there are a few movies that kind of tag into this. Um, Things like Blood on Satan's Claws a good example as well, um, and most recently something like A Field in England. This idea of, you know, being in a place that you're not entirely sure of um, and everything seems to be weird and maybe it's not everything that's weird, maybe it's you that's out of place. Um, And it just, it works for me on so many levels, this movie, and and its repeat value, even though the ending, you know, like you said, is on the the, the artwork for it. Um, I, I come back to this movie 
and uh, 10 minutes into it, I'm just hooked again. I know where it's going to end, but I'm hooked again. I'm back at ground level with, with Edward Woodward and following the, this bizarre series of what he thinks is ultimately like a, like a crime case that he's going to try and solve. But what he doesn't realise is a series of tests that he's been put up to basically lead him to his death. Um, it's an absolutely phenomenal fucking movie. Um, Jeff, please join me. Tell me, tell me, tell me more about The Wicker Man. Wicker Man is Paganism 101. <laughs> it's all there is to it. I mean, I have met pagans to, you know, sing the songs from this movie and have no idea. They think, oh, these are like old, you know, fucking Gerald Gardner Wiccan songs from the 50s. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, this is a little band called Magnet. Yeah. Paul Giovanni <laughs> wrote this for the movie. It's not like he adapted anything. He wrote all this stuff for the movie. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's like telling them that Axl Rose wrote their hymnal, and they just—they're shocked. <laughs> um, about the replay value of, of this movie, I think you're totally right about that. And the, the reason that it's so much fun to watch over and over again is because not only is Edward Woodward uh, giving a fantastic performance, but he's such a knob. Yes. <laughs> He is such an asshole in this movie. Um, And that's what makes it the most interesting kind of fish out of water story. I think that I've ever seen is not only is he in a place where he doesn't understand what's going on, doesn't understand the culture, doesn't necessarily even like the people, but he wants them all to conform to everything that he is. Yeah. And he's a and he's a dick. <laughs> this is like you know this is like the white missionaries going over to different countries, and it's like they're going to accept Jesus. And the way you're going to do that is that I'm going to destroy all of your culture and all of your mythology and all of your heritage, and then you'll be just like me, and it will be fine. And if that doesn't work, we have diseases that we can give you, yeah, and wipe your ass out. So watching the story unfold through someone who is just uh, essentially the nemesis of the film, Mm -hmm. someone in authority and wears the uniform and has some kind of aggravated sense of power is fascinating because we're supposed to think he's the good guy and it's really left up in the air whether he is or not. Yeah. It's, it's really it's really clever when you think about it in terms of I mean I only I only started picking up on that side of things much later on in my life but mm-hmm. when you're when you're young and very impressionable you don't tend to see movies you don't see many movies where you're following the you know the antagonist of a movie yeah. To an extent, you know what I mean? And th- what I love about this movie, like almost above all else, is the fact that ultimately, at the end of this movie, the culmination, um, the two characters, the two main characters, the two nemesis, or nemesis, or nemesi, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> although nemesi, I think, might be some sort of... Is that not some... Oh, who knows? Um, I think that's like calamari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two of them are basically ultimately doing the same thing. You've got you've got Edward Woodward who is praying to his god, um, and 
you've got you've got Christopher Lee who's playing Prentice, and they're both doing the same thing. And what you're left with is this idea of two two men, and ultimately what they're doing is shouting at the sky. And I I love yeah. that I love that aspect about the movie because. It's like you see, Edward Woodward really is. He's the modern, the modern equivalent would be something like ISIS. He's the ISIS of this movie because he really does want to wholly consume a, a belief structure and and remove it uh, in order to, which is pretty much what Christianity did back in the day. Um, and you know, it, it, that, he just thinks that he has the moral high ground and the moral right to do that from the off, like right from the start. He's not happy, um, right. and he, he gets more outraged, um, and his levels of incredulity <laughs> start to spiral out of control the longer this movie goes on. Um, and I, I find I find it fascinating. And yeah, the more you watch this movie, the more you very quickly understand that right from the off, he's a bit of a dick. Um, and when he gets over there he becomes a major dick Um, and Christopher Lee there is a charm and roguishness about that character which is instantly engaging Um, and I mean he's not happy about things at the end of this movie he's not happy Um, and the people on the island have given Woodward more than one nod that he maybe shouldn't be there Um, because if he passes that test you know if he, well, sorry, if he fails the test, um, he's not the right person for the sacrifice. Um, and they try everything possible, to, within a certain extent, to try and shoo him off the island. Um, or try and get him to at least consider leaving the island, which is something that he will not do, because he's got the moral high ground. Um, and that moral high ground ends him up in the, the last place any person wants to be. Um which is looking at Christopher uh, Christopher Lee dressed like a kind of um, pre pre Marilyn Manson era heavy metal rocker with a kind of white whitey yellow sort of face paint and a fake black wig, um, just just up there, you know, just do, surrounded do by geese. Yeah, so he's just like, I'm like, what the fuck? He's like watching this movie. You're like, what have I just taken? What was in this drink? See, um, and all it would have taken, all it would have taken, was. Five minutes with Brett Eklund. Yeah. You know, if he had just been like, oh, okay, she's hot. Maybe I should tap that. Then he wouldn't be in a fucking 30 foot tall wicker man on fire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you said, he gets every chance to free himself. And Mm. nope, he was just the fool they were looking for. Yeah. And that the the clip that I have just now, the opening clip for the the top ten countdown. You hear clips from that, and um, you can you, you, there is a particular clip when you know Christopher Lee saying "Welcome, fool." Um, and when you watch that movie, the 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 first time I ever watched that, I was very much of the opinion that you know there was there was like a glee and delight behind that voice but when you when you hear it when you really focus in on it it's sorrow he's you know he is he is happy on some level that you know they will have their their sacrifice in order to hopefully bring back their crops but there's another part of him that's kind of in despair that they actually have to do this he doesn't want it he doesn't want to have to do it. he just wants his crops right. um and i think that's yeah i think that's there's once again, it's the many facets of uh, Christopher Lee's portrayal in this 
in this the the movie which I think works so well for me. I think it's just it's what elevates above uh, last week's choice of uh, the Devil Rides Out, which is my favourite Hammer movie. I think it's absolutely incredible, and I think it's one of the the most confidently performed roles. Um, mm-hmm. The he really does love the 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 Duke de Richelieu, and um, he's phenomenal in that. But the character in that one is so level-headed and so almost Edward Woodward. <laughs> actually, when I think about it now, um, he's he's the he's the dick in that movie that knows everything about everything. Um, there's there's more going on in the portrayal of uh, Lord Summerisle um, as a character. The character's more complicated. It has more sides. Um, and that's that's why it tops my list. Is there is there anything else that you want to to touch on on the Wicker Man, um, notwithstanding obviously the conversation we're going to have later on about the performance? Is there anything else you want to touch on before we take a short break? I think one of the creepiest things about the Wicker Man when you watch it, and it's not something you pick up on right away, but one of the scariest things is that no matter where you go on that island, there's a band. <laughs> So if you feel the need to break out into song, you've immediately got back up. <laughs> Even Willow's song, when she's in the inn and she's next door to Sergeant Howie's room, there's a fucking band playing downstairs while she's singing two floors up. This is essentially Karaoke Island. It's kind of that Karaoke Island. Oh, why is there not a Karaoke Island? There should be. You just know, you just know it would, it would, the, the, the Japanese population on the island would be high in comparison to the rest of the world. Very, very high. I yeah. would not be there. No, I'm no. good. <laughs> yeah, I would not be there. A couple of drinks and you would be X. Oh, Jesus, that's true. I'd be singing <laughs> fucking Creed songs at the top of my lungs. Be, try, be trying everything to get you away from the place. You know, dudes, <laughs> you know what we should do? We should go to karaoke island. No, you always say this when you've had a few drinks. It'll be amazing. No, X, you're just going to sing the same three songs again. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Woohoo! Karaoke island! <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's something I want to see. Someone needs to make that happen. Some rich millionaire that listens to this show needs to buy an island and make that happen. Maybe that's we right. can get. Maybe we can touch with Richard Branson. That sounds like something he would have. He'd call it Virgin Island, which would be ironic, um, <laughs> considering what happens when people drink and sing. Um, yeah, so that that is the Wicker Man. We're going to obviously delve into more specifically our views on the, the performance of Christopher Lee later on. We have one more movie to discuss, though, and we're going to take a very short break more promos will play and the trailer for our second and final movie of this top 10 countdown will play um it is the trailer for Witchfinder general from 1968 and myself and x will chat about that movie right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs Flesh Like Smoke is the toothsome new shapeshifter anthology from April Moon Books. 
Curated and edited by Brian M. Sammons with illustrations by Neil Baker, Flesh Like Smoke is a collection of 16 tales of visceral horror from today's most talented authors. Some of these tortured souls lash out against their cursed existence, while others relish the taste of animalistic power. Ranging from gut-wrenching terror to heart-rending pathos, Flesh Like Smoke will leave you salivating for more with every turn of the page. Flesh Like Smoke is available in paperback and ebook format from Amazon.com and AprilMoonBooks.com, as well as other online purveyors of fine literature. Hurry to sink your claws into a copy before the next full moon. Black Annis Horror Podcast. The podcast that will change your life forever. That is not what, that's not, no. Intense. This is going to be filled with spoilers. So insightful that you will question your place in the universe. I don't like gore. Mind-blowing. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Inspiring. It's almost like a little advertisement. Life-changing. It's one of two things all the way through. Either predictable or stupid. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him, Stern. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Right. Help us, you two. Pounding the innocent in violence and terror, this evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witch Finder General. And amidst the horror of the witch hunt, a story of tender young love. Didn't your uncle just say you must early to bed? He did. And isn't he a wise man? He is. But even their innocence is cruelly corrupted by the vile touch of the witch finder general. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the witch finder general. Lust and greed were his only gods. The money from the magistrate. Nine guineas in silver. Good. Now we can leave. Ian Ogilvy as Richard Marshall. He stood alone against the forces of devilish destruction. And tis in thy sight, O Lord, that I hereby swear that shall not rest from the pursuit of his murderers till they stand before thee, ready to answer to thee for their sins. Rupert Davies as John Lowe's. Master Marshall, welcome. Patrick Weimark as Oliver Cromwell. Amongst the most pleasurable aspects of victory, gentlemen, is the opportunity it affords to reward valour. It ranks almost with good food. And Wilfred Bramble. And uh, what line of business might you be in? God's business. Witch finding. Witch finding. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. And introducing Hilary Dwyer as Sarah. Filmed in authentic detail and photographed with piercing realism against the actual background of peaceful villages and quiet countryside. Never has England looked so beautiful, yet been so violent. I'm your man friend. John Stern, they call me. Man's inhumanity to man portrayed on the screen so vividly that you flinch. So real that you too will fear the witch finder general. Be the first to see it. Be the first to talk about it. The witch finder general.
and welcome back. So it is with a a lump in my throat and a sad a sad expression on my face. We move into this final movie. It's been such a great morning. Cause I promised myself I would cry. Yeah, so we're, this is our final movie. Um, it's from 1968. It appears at number one on my list for Vincent Price. Um, which I know has shocked a few people. They genuinely thought I was going to go down the theatre of blood route, which is, I mean, when my top three in this series were Theatre of Blood, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, and Witchfinder General, and I'm sorry, trying to differentiate between those three movies for me is nigh impossible. Um, so this one's the one that, that tops out because this one to me is a wholly unique Vincent Price performance and we'll get into it a bit more but um, this was directed by Michael Reeves um, the movie stars Vincent Price obviously uh, Ian Ogley uh, Rupert Davies uh, Hilary Heath Robert Russell Nicky Henson Tony Selby Bernard Kay Godfrey James uh, Michael Beant um, John Trainaman, I think that's how you pronounce it. Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, uh, Bill, <laughs> Bill Maxwell, Big John. Um, and the synopsis for this movie is: a young soldier seeks to put to the end the evils caused by a vicious witch hunter. Now, this movie is very, very loosely based on a real witch hunter from the UK called uh, Matthew Hopkins, um, who was at the time he was given the honorary position of Witchfinder General. And that is kind of where the similarities stop because uh, <laughs> Matthew Hopkins was was a very young guy. He died before he turned thirty, um, and Vincent Price is not thirty in this movie. He's a bit older, no. um, <laughs> um, and yeah, the, the reason, like I say, this tops my list is because um, Vincent Price. Now Vincent Price has played the villain in movies before. I don't think Vincent Price has played a villain like this ever, except for this movie. He is evil, pure evil, and there is no camp at all in the performance. Um, he is just a vicious, vicious, evil bastard. Um, and uh, that that stands out to me because Price played plenty of villains, played plenty of good guys as well. He played many depressed characters, um, many somber characters. But there is a, a viciousness in um, his portrayal in this movie, which is is truly phenomenal and actually downright scary. Um, this movie was obviously titled The Conquering Worm um, in the States. The reason it got that name, which I've spoken about this before on this show, I think is quite funny. This movie bombed in the UK. It did not do well at all. It was universally hated. Um... So they were a bit concerned about how they would sell it to the American market. And of course, at the time, um, Price had been linked to the Poe-Corman uh, adaptations. So they decided that they would just slap the name of another Poe poem on top of this one, The Conquering Worm, uh, and they could just release it as that. And actually, it worked for them. This movie did amazing business in the States, um, and no one buyed an eyelid at all. So... <laughs> No one, no, no one went, wait once, I've read that. That's not how this, a witch finder, what? Um, so yeah, uh, so let's let's chat a bit about the movie. So in this movie, we have um, basically this, we're set right 
amongst the once again this kind of puritanical society and the witch trials are are happening um and can i jump in can i jump in just for the benefit of the american listeners this movie is so british (laughs) it is so english we have to understand that what's going on is that this is a time when the king of england's trying to escape to france and oliver cromwell's trying to take over the throne yes so there's really no law in the land at all Mm-hmm. So this is the perfect environment for somebody like Matthew Hopkins to kind of rise up and give his own version of law and order. And he does it, of course, through religion. Does that sound familiar to anyone? God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, as it, the, the people, I mean, obviously, when people think of witch trials, the, the name that does spring straight to mind is Salem. And there's, yeah. the, you know, the, probably the most documented witch trials. Um, I got my former co-host uh, for his birthday a couple of years ago the actual book um, written, not like the the book, but a copy of the book. Uh, you know, you know, book I, bound in human flesh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Bruce Campbell was in the background saying, "Don't read that book." <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the the book written by by Matthew Hopkins, so basically how you detect a witch. Um, and is that the Maleficus Maleorum? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, you can you can actually pick it up fairly fairly reasonable. It's been reprinted several several times. I think it's almost. I want to say it's something as silly as Penguin publish it now, which oh. is just r- fucking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally totally ridiculous. But um, yeah, so so Matthew Hopkins, um, just like Jeff was saying, uh, filled this void um, of of the lack of law and turned it to his own advantage by basically claiming that he could detect who was a witch. I'm sorry, but that's what makes this character so evil for me, is that Matthew Hopkins is a bureaucrat. Oh, God, yes. He doesn't do any of the hard work himself, unless you're trying to get information from, you know, a a young woman. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he'll sleep with her and get the information, but all of the, the torturing and everything else, he is literally on his high horse up on a hill just going, um, see if they drown. Yeah, oh my Never god. Never his hands dirty, wears fucking white gloves. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's instantly a dislikable character. Like, uh. instantly. Which, which really is saying something, because when you think Vincent Price, even Vincent Price, uh, in any movie where he is a villain, um, there's usually a likable, sympathetic quality to the character. It's just the way Price performs. Um, not, in this, not in this movie no. at all. He is the consummate dickhead, um, and he is he, he is he is bent the system in such a way which now everything aids him, everything benefits him, and if you do not play ball with him, he'll cry out as a witch, and he'll then sit you down with the traditional ways of of finding out if you're a witch, which uh, is geared let's say slightly towards the side of proving that you're a witch (laughs) (laughs) it's skewed (laughs) yes just slightly skewed because you like there there are many many different ways of testing this but one of my favorite ones is well we'll 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 dunk them into the water and if they can swim um they're a witch um which i don't know about you x but when i you know get dunked in the water my instinct is Try and get some air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Self-protection kicks in pretty hard. Yeah, so, and if you do that, you, you 
die. And if you drown, well, maybe he was wrong and you weren't. So your name's cleared and off to the next town. And he... He basically, in this movie, takes like the glee in his face, I think, is what sticks with him more than anything, is this idea that he just uses whatever he wants to get money and sexual favours, and ultimately, he... He maybe... He maybe bites off more than he can chew when he finally um, goes after a priest, and when he does that, um, he is... Uh, he gets the... It says John Stern, I think's the character's name. So Robert Russell's character um, really takes an interest in this because he was engaged to marry the, 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 the priest's niece. I think it is. I think that's his... It's not his daughter. I think it's his no, niece. No, it's his niece, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he is a military man who actually ends up pretty much leaving the military on a mission to track down and make uh, Hopkins pay. Um, and yeah, I, without without obviously spoiling it, even though this movie's ancient, without really spoiling anything, it culminates in a pretty horrific scene um, where Matthew Hopkins gets the his just desserts. Even maybe. by today's standards, that is a horrific scene. It really is. The, the, the last ten minutes of this movie, when you consider this movie came out in '68 is jaw-dropping. And I think this is probably what condemned it in this country. I think the Brits had seen this, that, you know, they got to the end of this movie, were already pretty appalled by it, caught this particular bit at the end, and basically what they did to this movie is very similar to what they did with Peeping Tom. Um, and they just, they, they decried it as, as evil. Um, which, in, in its own way, is a kind of irony, considering... You know the characters in the movie. Um, what well, I mean, had you, you? I dare say this is a movie that you'd seen before. Oh yeah. Um, but let me know what you think. I think it's. I, I'm going to save my my big bit about this movie until we get to the end of the show because mm-hmm. it 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 will all make sense. It's. I think this movie is. It's really scary. It holds up remarkably well. Um, for being, you know, a movie that's older than me. Yeah, yeah. There is, every, every time I think to myself, Jesus Christ, this movie's really just, it's bleak. It's just, again, just hopeless and a, a terrible oubliette of an ending. And then I think, oh, Michael Reeves. Well, that makes perfect sense then. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He did what? Two movies before he committed suicide? Yeah, yeah there's yeah. an inherent and the other one was Peeping Tom. So there's an inherent darkness in his unfortunately small body of work where he's just like, nope, this is horrible and I'm not going to move the camera. Yeah. I'm not going to turn away from this. I'm going to put this directly in your face and you can deal with this. And there's just uh I don't even know how to how to express what I'm what I'm thinking right now, but there is a definite. It's almost documentary like in the way that it portrays the violence. Yeah. Um, there's nothing. It doesn't have that sort of hammer um, padding to mm-hmm. it, 
You know, it's like, well, I realize this is violent. Oh, look, here's a woman in a low cut dress. You don't really, you don't really get that. What you get is, oh, look, here's a bunch of grubby guys at a pub. <laughs> and this is how shit really was back then. So, yeah, there's nothing even, there's no attempt to modernize it. There's no attempt to pander to the audience. It's just, here's this horrible story. This is what happened. And, and how do you feel after that? I mean, you, you know when this movie opens with people being hung on the gallows and it it doesn't pull away and you see these bodies basically kind of being blown in the wind on a hill. Yeah. There's a nihilistic quality about the movie, which I, I know exactly what you mean about this kind of documentarian approach well, to the movie. Because nobody, nobody comes in and says, oh, I'm going to be brave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's fucking screaming and they're terrified and they don't want this to happen. And it's almost too real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it really, like, the, the scenes of torture in this movie, I think, I mean, I, 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 always, I always find it funny when people talk about, like, kind of the, the torture porn angle um, of, like, kind of like the 2000s and, you know, how, how twisted certain movies are and all the rest. And I, I've never been able to relate to that because I almost find that looking at them, those movies, that there's a kind of unnatural way that things are happening. I don't dispute for one second that if someone got their kneecap drilled or whatever, that it would look and, you know, and, and some level feel and all, all the way that it's been portrayed on the screen. But when I see someone basically getting needles stuck into their back to make them talk and confess, that that gets to me more. Um, yeah. it, it really, really gets under my skin. Um, and it, it sticks with me. And the camera doesn't shy away at all. The camera just stays fixed on that back. The, mm -hmm. the camera stays fixed on the person being dunked under the water. The camera stays with the people that are being hung. And it, it, it doesn't move. It is unflinching and it forces the audience, the viewer, to watch what is happening on the screen and and take account almost as if it's saying on, on some level, this is what man is capable of. This is what man has done before. And still does to an extent. It's just that, like things have been refined slightly. I mean, whenever I read... Whenever I hear people talking about how how great society is now, and then you, you read a story about like waterboarding in Guantanamo Bay, I think to myself, yeah, yeah, totally civilized. We've moved on quite a bit. Yeah. We're now, we're now no longer using. Yeah, we're not we're not using pins in people's backs anymore. We're simulating drowning. Um, and it, you know, it just really there's there's just something about the movie which it's so ahead of its time. It's so so ahead of its time. Um. And every time I watch this movie, it just floors me at how... And I keep coming back to that word nihilistic. It, it, is, it encompasses this idea of nihilism because at the end of this movie, there is no happy ending for anyone. No. Um, and it cuts to the... It's <laughs> very, very much like The Wicker Man, although The Wicker Man, technically the... the the islanders are quite happy um, you know what I mean it's, it's that idea of this is what happens and now's your credits and go home and deal with it I never really gave the torture porn I don't, I don't like the phrase torture porn although mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about but after a while when you watch movies like that um, especially the ones that are just knockoffs of the Saw series I thought yeah. the Saw series was 
I, I love it because I like putting all those pieces together, but you look at stuff like um, activity, music. After a while, it just gets medical. Yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, this is what you can do to a bone. This is what you can do to a body part. It just feels like a training film after a while. Yeah. Like, as, like for. It's like a training, training manual for. It's a training manual for, for effects artists. Yeah. To say, look, look what we did. We we got we managed to chop this arm off in a weird device which twists it around loads. Um, and it just doesn't resonate with me. I don't know if that makes sense. On some level, I should be more appalled by someone's arm being twisted off than yeah. I should be by someone being drummed and then pulled back at the last second and then being drummed again. But it doesn't work like that for me. Well, it's because those, those, those other movies, they reduce the human body to nothing more than a machine. It's a machine that is to be tinkered with and pulled apart and maybe put back together again. I don't know. But something like Witchfinder General with the constant screaming and the constant realization that these people are humans and not not just, you know, lambs to the slaughter like you get in you know, movies like Captivity and those other knockoffs. You know, there's a real sense that these are real people who are being unjustly uh, murdered for 12 guineas. Yeah, you know, and it's horrifying. It's just absolutely terrible. Definitely, definitely. I really want to get into more of the idea of of how price performs in the role. Um, in order to do that, though, we need to jump to our final segment. Is there anything else, X, that you want to to mention about Witchfinder General before we take a short break and come back and and uh, do battle um, over over who we who we think had the better performance? Oh, are we battling? That should be fun. Um, <laughs> I will say this. Um, and I, I should I should have this pulled up, and I don't. The man who played the main soldier, who ended up being Sarah's husband. Hey, oh, thank you, Magic. Uh, I that did. Yeah, that did. I, I just said his name earlier on. Yeah, well. that guy. Um, I think R- Richard Marshall is it? Richard, Richard Marshall. I think it yeah. is. Yeah, he's a great performance, especially when you realize for the last half hour, pretty much his only line is, "I'm going to kill you." Yes. <laughs> and he says it like three or four times in different ways, and each way is just more and more chilling. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> just denigrates into this horrible desperation. It's amazing. That is indeed. That is indeed. Oh my God, this movie. Uh, right. We are going to take a very short break. You're going to hear more promos when we come back. Myself and X are going to close out this final, final um, countdown. And uh, we will decide, we may battle, or we may agree, I don't know yet, um, who is the better performer in these movies. Um, We'll be right back after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know. I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I'll kick him in the face. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. 
oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Mathematics of murder and menace. The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. And welcome back. So. We have uh, travelled through uh, another two movies, the final two movies, the the two at the top of my list for Vincent Price and Christopher Lee, and it all comes down to this, which is, who is the better performer in these movies? Now, um, in grand tradition, tradition that dates back a whole nine weeks, um, (laughs) I've been going first. Um, I will continue that tradition at the end. Uh, I will see who I think is the better performer. I'll get you to do the same X. And then we'll just kind of try and justify it and or um, put out our case to the other one, why we chose. Uh, To me, it is Christopher Lee at the end. The reason I choose Christopher Lee um, will be fully detailed uh, after I find out who you choose, uh, Mr. X. Also choose Christopher Lee. Right, so this makes things yep. like, this makes things a bit easier, a bit easier. To me, the the reason that Christopher Lee wins overall is very. I've already kind of half explained it earlier on. I think his character is immensely complicated, um, and there is remorse in the character at the end. I think that's the big thing for me that yes he's doing all the things he's doing and he's playing a particular role and on the island in a particular part and a grand play which is ultimately going to culminate in someone dying someone being sacrificed but he's not happy about it and at the end he's still not happy about it and it's just something that needs to be done um, and it's almost like a, a control mechanism over the island to an extent um, there's there's a weird kind of look at there's there's a weird look at things as basically it's, it's his way of of kind of keeping the island together um, is is to 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 have this idea 
that maybe if they, they follow through with the rights given by their ancestors down to them, that this is maybe a way that... Because if, if they don't have another good crop or if, you know, another couple of years of the bad crop, the, the island's eventually just going to split up. People are going to go, you know, where they want to go and off the island and away. And it's kind of it's kind of a control mechanism on some Well, level. and Sergeant Howie's right, too, because if this sacrifice doesn't work next year, they will sacrifice Lord Summer Isle. Yes, yeah, yeah, they will, yeah. And it, it's this... Uh, there, there's an urgency about it. And it, it's just... Lee makes it look so fucking easy. It is a seamless performance. Um, it is, like I've said before, arguably his greatest role. Uh, even going out with horror, it's arguably his greatest role. And it betters the Price performance to me because, yes, Price is wonderfully wicked and so evil and so devoid of compassion and so about himself above all others um, there is no flip side to that character it's what I've been criticising a lot of the Lee performances we've had throughout this top 10 is that there's always been that idea of Price being able to be merciless on one level but you'd, th there'll be a sequence which will explain why his character is like that or you get an insight for a flashback or something you don't get that in this movie. It is a single mindedness to evil, which makes that movie. That's what that movie needs. It doesn't need a, a you know a caricature Vincent Price performance. It needs that Vincent Price performance. But up against the performance of Christopher Lee, you see how one-dimensional the character is, and how three-dimensional you know Lord Summer Isle is as a character. Where are you coming in on this? Why did you pick Christopher Lee? Uh, I, I think if we juxtapose these two performances, I think we find something very interesting, and that's that the characters of Lord Summerisle and Matthew Hopkins are very similar. They're similar in the fact that they are portraying concepts. Matthew Hopkins is the concept of the boogeyman who will come to get you if you don't watch out. Lord Summerisle, of course, is the Lord of the Harvest. Yes. So these are people whose reputations precede them before we ever really get to meet them or know them. And what's also interesting is that in both of these films, I'd say Price and Lee have, what, about 30 minutes screen time total? If that, yeah. If that. If that and yet those characters affect everything that happens within those stories. So this is these are both characters that have mythical qualities to them. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, particularly in Lee's performance, I think he's the one who embodies those that mythos the best. I mean, every time you see him, he's dressed in a, in a different fashion. So you can see him as a businessman. Um, there are times where he dresses like he just walked off of 1968 Carnaby Street. <laughs> he's got a kilt or he's wearing that dress or he's got that that the horrible mustard yellow turtleneck. Yeah. Just he is but he's all of these things. He is the high priest. He's the blind jokester. He's the mad prophet. He's every he's every archetype all in one. Mm -hmm. That's hard to pull off in 30 minutes of screen time. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, so it's that's, incredible. 
Yeah, it's amazing. That's what I think makes that performance so fantastic is it's so nuanced. Now, Price, of course, is very evil in his film, but a lot of his performance just kind of consists of us not trying to notice his hair. <laughs> Which is a gray kind of Prince Valiant cut. I mean, I guess that was fashionable back then whatsoever. But really, when it comes down to it, he's just an order giver. Yes. You know, he does very little of the hands-on work himself, like I said earlier. Whereas Lord Summerisle, he's in it. He's mm -hmm. planning it. He's, he's, you know, he's kicking tires and lighting fires, literally. <laughs> so, something about something about that to be that archetype that comes down to wander amongst his people and finally lead them to that final sacrifice and he's loving it you look at his face yeah. and there's just something in his eyes that is pure glee you know and I guess that comes when you get a role that you feel like was made especially for you yeah but just and it's a one-off. You know, he doesn't come back to repeat it unless you count those five seconds in the wicker tree, which I don't fucking count the wicker tree because, Christ, that was awful. Oh, God, um, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, and he just shows up as an old dude for five seconds. Thanks. Did a favor for Robin Hardy. Great. But so just with that being a one-off, it's just it's, that's just one of those singular, iconic characters that you point to and go, wow, nobody else could have done that. No one else could have pulled that off. You know, Ellen Burstyn sure as fuck didn't. Yeah, oh yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 Lee all the way for me. Fantastic, great. That culminates, culminates the, the final, the final countdown here. And, um, oh, it's the final were you thinking about that as well? I was. Uh, I was. Yeah. I was playing the keyboard in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just want to thank you very much, uh, Jeff, for coming on this show and chatting these movies with me. Uh, it feels like the show could only ever end the run of the top ten with you on it, so I'm incredibly honoured that you, you came on. Um, do you want to just remind the listeners out there how they can check out Kiss the Goat and where they can check out your work, sir? Sure. Um, Kiss the Goat is on both iTunes and the Legion Podcasts feed. Drop by, say hi, join the Facebook group, which is on Facebook. If you know how to use Facebook, you should probably um, join the Facebook group. Um, you can also find my writing. I write for both Pop Shifter and One Perfect Shot, those websites. You can find my writings there, and you can also find my horror fiction on Amazon. Follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey X Martin, and... Um, show up at my house unexpectedly with chick tracts. <laughs> oh, yes. It's always a pleasure having you on. And like I say, before this year is out, myself, yourself, and Doug Tilly will be back to uh, look at some more work by the man they call Fulci. Yes. Um, can't wait for that. Thanks again, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to take a short break just now, ladies and gentlemen. When I return, I'm closing out this show right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They tried to kill us. You ungodly warlock. But we just won't stop.
stay dead. The Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app, search TMHS Radio, or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. You're listening to the podcast, Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast, Under the Stairs. This has been episode number 69 in which we looked at number one on my top ten list for Christopher Lee and Vincent Price and their horror performances. Oh, we did The Wicker Man from 1973 and Witchfinder General from 1968. And the final scores, Vincent Price, 11 points overall. Christopher Lee, 9 points overall, so 2 points of a difference. A very, very closely fought competition. But I think we can all say that... I mean, it's difficult to, to, to go either way, but Christopher Lee is he's a phenomenal horror actor, but Vincent Price just had a run of movies which are just incredible. I mean, two decades of pretty much the greatest horror movies ever made, so um, I think uh, much congratulations goes out to Vincent Price for his uh, resounding one. I would like to just take a couple of minutes to thank all of my guests who featured on the top 10 run of shows. I'd like to thank Gary Hill, who appeared on the Horror Express and the Raven episode, Mike Merriman for the Doctor Terror's House of Horror and the Fall of the House of Usher episode, Mark Ball, who featured on the Curse of Frankenstein and the House on Haunted Hill, Andy Blockley for The Whip and the Flesh and the House of Wax, Jamie Jenkins for To the Devil a Daughter and the Fly, Doug Tilly for The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Pit and the Pendulum, Bo Ransdell for Horror of Dracula and The Last Man on Earth, Johnny Krug for Rasputin the Mad Monk and The Theatre of Blood, Danny Trioxin and Graham Humphrey for The Devil Rides Out and The Abominable Dr. Fibes, and finally to my guest on this show, Jeff X. Martin for The Wicker Man and Witchfinder General. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to these top 10 shows as much as I've enjoyed making them. Um, it was a real labour of love. There was a lot of work went into these segments over the last last three and a half months um, of prep and getting things set up and getting the guests and... Um, getting the movies and really immersing myself in uh, performances by Christopher Lee and Vincent Price which in itself is no hardship that's probably probably one of my favourite things to do anyway so I can't gripe about that at all but thank you very much for everyone downloading the shows some of these shows have been the highest downloaded shows that have been out on the podcast under the stairs they have scored very highly uh, in the Legion Podcast League tables at the end of all the months as well and that's due to you not me, that's due to you for sharing the podcast with your friends and listening to them, downloading them from the various different sources that are out there and I am ever thankful for for all the time that you guys spend listening to me and my guests talk about horror. It really, really does humble me. But 
there's no rest for the wicked and in just a couple of days time I'm coming back with the Baz for a full five weeks of horror and the Baz. I know you guys have been looking forward to it. You've been ticking off the calendar slots on your, your, your wall calendars, counting down the days until this kicks off and we're just a couple of days away from Baz v Halloween. Oh my god, 2015. This is Rim 2. For all those that remember, 2014 saw Halloween win resoundingly 3-2. Oh, can this time the Baz muster up the energy, the gumption, the power and the testicular fortitude to come back and resoundingly hammer Halloween? I don't know, I've made things difficult this year. Um, on episode 1, which drops on the 1st of October 2015, we will be looking at I Spit in Your Grave from the 1970s under the Unsettling Cinema category. And under fan footage, we're doing The Last Broadcast. It's all to play for. Um, we are going to finish off our, our Halloween shows by releasing a special video commentary for Grave Encounters 2 on Halloween night. Saturday the 31st of October 2015 so keep your eyes open for that as well and make sure that you send all the love and all your support to the Baz cause he's gonna need it I'm not making things easy for him this year at all I picked a pretty horrible lineup of unsettling cinema and some really interesting found footage movies that I think people don't always jump to talk about when they talk about that subgenre so it'll be interesting to see who wins overall and just a quick reminder for our listeners out there, if you're just coming across this podcast for the first time, there is a multitude of ways to check out our show. You can listen to us on iTunes, and if you do, please just take a couple of minutes to go across and give us a rating on iTunes. If it was, for example, five stars, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes ratings we get pushed, the more likely it is that people will stumble across the show and check us out. So every review counts and matters for, for us to, to get our word out there amongst the, the, the iTunes elite um, you can also check out this show on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can check it out on SoundCloud through our website, podcast under the stairs.wordpress.com. You can check us out through the Legion Podcast Network feed. We're a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network, um, sharing the, the airwaves with some fantastic, talented individuals and some great shows out there. So make sure that you send some love out to them as well. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Cast, And the Baz is the admin over on our Twitters, which is at Cast. Make sure you hashtag him, tag him in things. Um, he loves to read things. I can't guarantee that he doesn't do it all on the toilet. Um, or furiously masturbating while he's reading them. I can't make either guarantee. Um, and a final reminder that there are still some posters out there if you want to get a podcast under the stairs poster. Um, we're down to about half of them left. There's only about half left at the 75 that got printed. And when they're gone, they're gone. They're designed by Graham Humphreys, the horror artist, the iconic horror artist. Um, and they are £12.50, including postage and packaging for people in the United Kingdom. For people in the States, it's $23, and that's including postage and packaging. Um, thank you once again for all the support on the show. Um, it really, really does mean a lot to me. This has been a fantastic run for the top 10 shows. I really enjoyed it. Can't wait to see where we go next year with our top 10s. It's going to be different. I can guarantee that. Um, but who knows? Who knows what will happen? But I think it's time that I uh, jump off just now and gear myself up to come back with some Basri Halloween. It's a, it's a full-on five weeks packed with horror and I can't wait to bring those shows to you. So please take care of yourselves out there wherever you are. This is Duncan McLeish at Broadcasting Live from the Void. Signing off.